But as we get started this morning, let me ask you a question. As we dig into our sermon today on the community Bible experience, how good are you at confronting other people? How good are you at confronting other people? Are you the kind of person who jumps the gun and says what's on his mind a little bit too quickly? Or are you the kind of person who tends to avoid conflict? You avoid confrontation unless someone makes you mad and then you just jump in and let them have it at that point? Does the way that you confront people or the way that you avoid confrontation sometimes get you into trouble? Create problems for you? Have you ever wished that you could be a little bit better at it? Kids, let me ask you something. Do you say or do something when your brother or your sister or some kid at school is doing something they're not supposed to? For, for all of us, I mean, you would think that by the time you, begin, you become a grown-up, you just kind of figure all this stuff out. The secret is we don't. We still struggle with it. And in fact, maybe you can think about times when your mom or your dad didn't confront things the way they were supposed to. Maybe you can think of a time when your mom or your dad got a little bit too upset with you. Or they got upset with each other. Or they avoided confrontation even though it was right there and somebody should have said something or done something. What if your mom and dad in those moments had a little bit of help like the parents did in this video? Take a look at this. We need to talk. You've done something wrong. Okay. I'm toast. Now, I'm not upset. I'm upset. I'm just kind of surprised. I'm a ticking time bomb of volcanic fury. Because you forgot about yesterday? Because you are a moron of epic proportions. <laughs> yesterday, yesterday. I'm toast. <laughs> so how do you like the casserole? It's, uh, it, it's a new flavor. Tastes like the devil ate a skunk sandwich and vomited in my mouth. <laughs> That's my mom's favorite recipe. I grew up on that. Might as well slap my mother in the face. Well, you know I would never do that. You know I think your mother's wonderful. Actually, I think your mother's a... <laughs> So do you really know how to confront people the right way? When you get yourself in those situations and you know you need to confront, or if someone is confronting you, do you tend to react, to blow up, or to run away from the confrontation, or do you respond in a way of love? Because like it or not, God puts us all at times in places where we have to deal with confrontation with other people. Am I right? We can't avoid it. We can, we can, in those moments, we can lose it by, and push other people away, or we can avoid it and just make problems even worse. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we have been doing something called the Community Bible Experience, right? Where we're reading through, as a body here, the New Testament over 40 days. And over this, over this last week, many of us have read through the book of Acts and First and Second Thessalonians as well. And as you're reading, what I'm encouraging you to do each morning or each day is to find yourself in the story. Maybe you're reading a story about some man or some woman, and as you're reading it, you can see how maybe your life kind of parallels theirs in some way, and God will speak to you and speak to you about your life through the stories that you're reading. On Sundays, what I hope to do as we spend time together is take just one story, take the example of one real life uh, from what the, the passage that you had read that last week and share a little bit with you about that person's life and what we can learn from his or her story in hopes that you'll take a step closer to Jesus as well. And today, we're going to be looking at someone who really walked closely with God. He was someone who was strong in his faith, and he was fearless 
when confronting others about doing wrong. And God used his life despite the fact that his way of confronting others caused some real problems for him. That person, as you might already have figured out, is Stephen. You know, as we look at Stephen's life, we'll be reminded of this, that conflicts in our lives, they're inevitable. Just like it's inevitable that at times when we're confronting other people, we're going to say or do the wrong things. But you can't change, here's the important part, you can't change what you can't confront in love. Would you like to be better? Would you like to be more confident when you're in places where you need to confront other people or when you're being confronted by someone else? Would you like to deal with confrontation, whether you're giving it or receiving it, in a way that honors God each and every time? If so, turn with me if you would, to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6 today. If you have your books of the Bible with you, you can turn to page 64. That's where we'll be today. And as you're turning, let me just share with you this part of the, past, of the scriptures that we're looking at here early on in the book of Acts. This is just after uh, Christ has been resurrected from the dead. The Christian church is quickly being formed. Thousands of people are coming to Christ and churches are being birthed all over this region that is now Israel and Jordan. And um, kids, if you have your activity sheets right now, you can feel free to work on those while we take a moment to go into God's Word and pray. Lord, I ask that as, as we open up Acts today and as we look at the story of Stephen, that you would speak loudly and clearly to us. Help us to see the ways that we do confront well and perhaps some ways we can confront better. We can confront people without fear, but confront in love. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, as, you're, as you're turning to Acts, let me just say also that we first learn about this guy, Stephen, just before this passage we're getting ready to look at in Acts chapter 6. Stephen was one of seven men, the Bible says, who was chosen to help take care of widows and orphans who were in need. Uh, the, early on in the church, as it, it was growing so rapidly, the, the apostles or the twelve who had followed Jesus around in his life, they were trying to pastor, to minister to everyone, to spread God's word, but also to care for all the widows. And quickly they found themselves in a place where they couldn't do it all. And so they appointed seven men to be able to take care of these widows and orphans, and Stephen was one of those. And what we see in verse 5 is that Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, In verse 8, it says that he was full of grace and God did miraculous things through him. And as you might guess, some people didn't like the things that Stephen was doing. So Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8, you'll notice it's near the top of page 64 there. It says this, Now Stephen, a man full of grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting 
in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let me pause there for a moment. Now, outside of this story, there's not a whole lot that we know about the life of Stephen. Virtually nothing is found about the life of Stephen outside this little part of the book of Acts in Scripture. Now, one thing that we can kind of surmise or guess is because Stephen is a Greek name, he, we, we can assume that he was probably a Hellenistic or Greek-speaking Jew back in that, those days. But here's what we're seeing here. As we look at this story, we're seeing that there were some Jews from this one band of churches. It's called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. This was a, a group of churches that were made up of former slaves. And they didn't really like what Stephen was up to. They didn't like some of the things that he was saying and doing. They saw him as a threat with the Christian faith that he was spreading. But the thing was, Stephen was so smart and he had such a way with words that they couldn't slow him down. They tried to debate him. They tried to, they tried to figure out a way to corner him, to trap him, to, to shut him up. And they would just fail over and over again. So these guys decide the best way we can stop this guy is just to make up a really good lie to try to have him brought before the court and have him done away with entirely. And that's exactly what they do. They accuse him of the very same thing that Jesus was accused of by Jewish leaders several months prior. Which was blasphemy. Or speaking out against God. But in many ways, Stephen is an example of a great godly person whose life is one that we could model ours after. He was a respected person. He was strong in his faith. He he was reliable and he was committed to serving others. He was a man who closely walked with God and God used him in miraculous ways, right? He was super smart. He was eloquent. He could debate well and he could convince other people of things. And he was courageous. He was able to share faith boldly and not run back or cower in fear. However, the Bible says that none of us are perfect including Stephen. And in this story, one could make the case that we need to be more than just fearless when we're confronting others. Being fearless is important. Being courageous is important. But we need more than that when we're confronting others. Let let me explain what I mean. Beginning in chapter 7 here of Acts, we see that Stephen is standing before This Jewish high priest, right? And all these other Jewish leaders or Jewish bigwigs who were responsible for things, in charge of things. And Stephen is standing before them and he is being asked by this judge, by this Jewish leader, this high priest, are these charges of blasphemy true? Did you actually blaspheme God? Now, if you think about this, if you were in Stephen's position, Just think about this for a moment. Imagine yourself being in Stephen's position and you're being accused of something that you know didn't happen, right? You know that you hadn't done. How would you approach this judge in this moment? Would you perhaps handle this situation humbly and simply but directly and say, you know what, judge? (laughs) This stuff that they're they're bringing against me, it's actually not true. and, And as you look and you ask for evidence, as you... You won't find any because there is none. Because I I wouldn't do this. I I love God. I worship God. And and I would never do that. If if you were in his position and you hadn't blasphemed God and you knew your life was on the line, you'd probably want to find the nicest way you could of saying, wasn't me. Sorry, right? How many of you would instead look at the judge and as he looks at you and says, are you guilty or not guilty? How many of you would 
start out on this long speech about the history of the Jewish nation and then personally go off on the judge saying that he and everyone else is stiff-necked, stubborn, and blind to the truth. Would that be your way of approaching this? How many of you would then attack the judge about how he falsely had sentenced people before? I'm curious. Would that be your approach? Well, that's the approach that Stephen took in that moment as his life was on the line, as he was being confronted. And no doubt he wasn't prepared to handle. I won't read the whole thing, the whole speech that Stephen gave, but after the judge asks him this question, Stephen goes off on this long historical speech about the history of of the, the nation. He talks about Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David and Solomon. And after 50 verses, given all of this history, Stephen looks at them, and this is what he says on the bottom of the next page, page 66, Acts 7, verse 51. It says, he says this, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels and you have not obeyed it. Wow. Stephen shows no fear. And he confronts his accusers and he confronts them hard. And as you might guess, the judge and the people around didn't take Stephen's little talk very well. In fact, as they're getting upset, Stephen pushes it even further. And he says something else that's even more inflammatory toward them. And the, pe- the crowd just finally gets so angry that they rush him and they grab him and they drag him out and they kill him. Now, as I'm sharing this with you and as you're looking at the story, let me just say this. Granted, we only have one account of this story. This isn't a, a story that we see multiple accounts of as we do with some stories in the Gospels. Probably there were more things said in that moment, in the heat of the moment, than were exhaustively recorded in this little passage. This is kind of the summary, I'm no doubt, of what happened. And it does say here, actually, that before Stephen started talking, his face shone like an angel's, right? Which means that, that I believe that was Luke's way of saying God's hand was upon Stephen in this moment as he was being tried and tested. So I don't see a point in trying to pick apart Stephen's life in this moment and sort of determining was he acting appropriately or inappropriately in this moment in the way he was just responding or reacting to these charges that he would be, was being thrown at and, or thrown into. But what I do want to do is I wanted to point out this story to you to ask you a key question this morning. And that is this. How do you handle confrontation? When you're in places where confront, when someone is confronting you and your, your neck is on the line, do you tend to act like Stephen did in this moment and just kind of react and just say you know, things that might, perhaps would be inflammatory and rather than building bridges, it would burn bridges in the process? What's the best way, the bi- most biblical way to confront other people when you need to confront someone or when someone is confronting you? Because, yeah, as we said, conflicts, they're inevitable. We can't avoid them, right? But you can't fix anything. You can't change anything if you don't confront and confront in love, right? 
This morning, what I'd like to do is to go, take a moment to go through some places in Scripture and to point out some things where this Bible shares with us how we are to confront other people in a loving way, in, in a biblical way. And as we look at this, let me just say there is no magic formula. There's no place in Scripture that says, here are the seven steps to confronting biblically. You're not going to find that in the Bible. But we do have several principles that we can look to. And the first one that I want to share with you is this. When we're in a place where we need to confront, we need to check ourselves and rid ourselves of pride and impatience. We need to check our hearts and do an internal, just deep look and just say, is there any pride there? Is there any impatience there before I go and confront? When something is handled wrongly and needs to be addressed, it's tempting to just grab the phone or to whip open the laptop and type out a quick email and just say what's on your mind, right? And if your goal is to make someone mad, then you'll probably succeed. But if your goal is to win over that person and bring about change, then that's the worst thing that you can do, right? There's a book in the New Testament called the book of Philippians. And it warns us to make sure not to act out of selfish or prideful motives. Philippians says we must check our hearts. We must ask ourselves the hard questions before we ask others the hard questions. And if we don't, we won't handle things well and we'll perhaps do more damage than good. There's a place in Jesus' life, in Matthew chapter 7, where he talks to us about being introspective in the moments before confronting someone. Jesus tells us that we must be honest about what's really going on inside of our hearts. And Jesus says in this passage that before we go to confront someone, before we look at the, the plank, or before we look at the speck in their eyes, we must look at the plank in our own eyes. And Jesus was saying this because he's saying that There are times when our pride or our judgmental spirit can blind us from seeing the truth. And we can be so resolute in how we're right and they're wrong that we can just let someone have it. And in that moment, even if we're right, we end up being wrong by the way we handle it. Scripture warns us over and over again before we confront to be careful and to check our hearts. And there's a place in Psalm 139 where the psalmist is saying, God... Test me and try me. Look at my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me. See if there's any way here that offends. But we aren't just to look for pride in those moments. We're also to look for impatience. We're to look for impatience. Because we can be completely right about a situation. But we can handle it with a nasty and judgmental spirit. An impatient spirit. And we can still do more harm than good. Notice what 2 Timothy has to say about this. 2 Timothy says, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. (laughs) I like how this paraphrase words this. Because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. If you don't check your heart and deal with any impatient 
or self-righteous attitudes in those moments before you go to confront someone, you're going to create a stupid argument, it's saying here. You're going to do damage to that relationship. And the thing that you're trying to fix might actually be more unable to be fixed after you're done. But if we approach those moments, those times of confrontation with patience and with humility and with love, it can lead to what, 2 Timothy says? It can lead to a knowledge of the truth. It can come to a moment where both sides are able to look at it and say, oh, this is what needs to be done. We're also in those moments to be direct but gentle in our confrontation. Proverbs says that gentleness is what moves people forward, but harsh words only stir up anger, as Stephen saw himself. Galatians says that if you catch someone in sin or doing wrong, the godly thing isn't to play nice and ignore it. In fact, I'd argue that that's just as as cruel as attacking someone. But the Bible says that we're to be clear and we're to be direct about the problem. We're to stick to the issues. We're to stick to the problem and not attack and attack the problem and not the person. We're to affirm the relationship as much as we can, knowing that in those moments that relationship can be ripped apart or it can be healed and mended in a beautiful way. We're to make sure that we don't sin in those moments as we're pointing out the sins or mistakes of someone else. And, and I love this. It says, as, as we confront, that we're to do so by carrying their burdens with them. We're not just supposed to point out their problems, but we're supposed to walk with them and carry their burdens with them. We're, in other words, we're supposed to get in their shoes in that moment. We're to walk with them. We're to experience the pain, the problem with them. Also, in the heat of the moment, we must carefully listen and carefully choose our words. As I say that, there is one verse that sticks out to me that I think about all the time. When I'm in a place where I, need, I feel the need to confront someone, James 1.19 is usually re- resounding in my head over and over again. It's, it's, it's the key. When it comes to confrontation, if there's no other, uh, no other verse that you memorize, it should be this one. It's one that you should just have down pat in your head. And every time you're in the midst of confrontation, whether you're, you're the one bringing the confrontation or you're receiving it, you should say to yourself these words. James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Everyone should be quick to speak, slow to, uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's important because in those moments, we're always right, aren't we? I mean, it's the other person that's the idiot. It's the other person that doesn't know what they're talking about. It's the other one that's making all the mistakes, Right? Everyone else is the one that's doing wrong. And we're the ones that, have, that are blessed with all the knowledge in the situation. We're the ones blessed with the right thing to do. I love how Proverbs deals with this. Proverbs says this. Proverbs says, if, I, if one gives an answer before he hears, in other words, before he's listening, it is his folly and shame. The one who states his case first seems right till the other comes and examines him. In other words... There are those times we go into confrontation and we're like, I know I'm right. I know they're wrong. I need to bless them with my knowledge. I need to fix their problems. I need to tell them like it is and they'll be okay just like I am. And those moments, what we come to realize is the truth is always in the middle, isn't it? 
Every time I'm in a confrontation with someone and I'm convinced that I'm right and they're wrong, God usually shows me through that as I start to see a bigger perspective, a more holistic perspective, that there are parts of my understanding that weren't quite right themselves. There's wisdom in approaching these things and carefully and using our words carefully in those moments. And lastly, I will share this. Scripture says we must be forgiving and gracious to others and to ourselves in those moments of confrontation. You see, confrontation isn't just about pointing out what other people are doing wrong. It's about helping work together to get both sides back to the right place. Confrontation isn't about pointing a finger. It's about offering a hand. That includes offering forgiveness. And if I can't do that, if I can't be in a place where I can offer and receive forgiveness in those moments, then I probably don't need to be saying or or confronting at all. Ephesians 4 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Luke 17 talks about when you rebuke a sinful brother, if he repents, you must forgive him. You must. It's not an option. It's not something that you do when you feel like it. It's saying when you confront and you ask, and that person repents for what th- their part in the situation, you have no choice but to forgive them, just as Christ has forgiven you. And James chapter 5, I love this. James chapter 5 talks about confessing your sins to each other and praying for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. We don't just point out each other's faults, but we confess them, we own them, and we pray for each other through them. And James says if we want to fix the problems and change things, that's the approach that works. That's the approach that brings reconciliation. That's the approach that brings healing. Whether I'm going to confront someone or I'm being confronted by someone else and I'm tempted to defend myself. I I, I don't know about you, but I want to handle those moments and those relationships well. How about you? In those moments, our character really shines through. It's in those moments that we really show who we are when we're being confronted or we're confronting someone else. And one little thing, you, many of you know, you know this firsthand, one little thing that is said or done in the heat of that moment can cause irreparable damage. Right? Personally, I don't want to be remembered in those moments for the bridges I burned as I stood my ground. I want to be known as being fearless in confrontation, but I also want to be known as gentle and gracious in reconciliation. Yes, we are, to be a, we are to be fearless in our confrontation. We're not to run from it. We're to be courageous because in those moments when God's speaking to us and prompting us to, to take that step, we're to obey the Lord in that. But in those moments, we have to remember to be gentle and gracious in our reconciliation. And the point of the whole thing is to build bridges, not to burn them. Despite how you read this story about Stephen's life, what we, do, what we can all pretty much agree on is that this was the defining moment in Stephen's life, wasn't it? At the end of the day, Stephen becomes the first martyr of the Christian church as a result of this day. And as a result of what happened that day, Christians throughout Jerusalem were scattered all over um, that part of the empire. Because the, the, the things that Stephen shared in that moment, it so angered people and 
amped up people that uh, this mob kind of started and Jews started looking th- at that point after they killed Stephen they started looking for any and every Christian they could find so that they could persecute them and even kill them and what we see from the scriptures is that all of the all of the Christians outside of the apostles fled the city and they went off to be go, to go stay somewhere else they were going to Judea and Samaria some of them went as far as Cyprus and Syria to just get away from the persecution that was coming but what I love about this story is that even though, even if Stephen had made a mistake in this moment and he reacted, God was so gracious and that God worked through this situation. And what Stephen did in that moment and, and, the, and the events that followed caused the church to be, to be launched out of Jerusalem and to start the missionary movement that would one day encircle the entire globe. That day, Stephen was fearless in his confrontation. And it would be the last time he would ever do so. Yet by God's grace, from his grave, he ended up being the trigger that fired the church out. And God's message of grace and forgiveness has never died out ever since. Today, I believe we all can find ourselves in the story of Stephen. We're all guilty at times of not confronting each other well, right? There are those times, even when it's, I, I, what I have found is it's oftentimes the people who are the closest to me that I tend to hurt the worst and confront the hardest inappropriately. So let me ask you this morning, as we wrestle with this idea of confrontation, is there someone in your life right now that you have confronted, maybe in the last few days or the last few weeks, and you know that you didn't handle it well? You know that you were a little too amped, you were a little too upset, you were a little too frustrated in those moments you were perhaps a little too impatient or judgmental. And God may be saying to you right now, you need to go back and make it right. You need to go back and, and own up to your part in that confrontation. And even though you might have been all right in the, in the things you were saying, the way you handled it caused damage. And you need to run toward reconciliation. Maybe, maybe that's you this morning and you say, you know what? I, I got to go back. I got to go back and deal with that, that situation that I, I thought I handled before, but I really didn't handle well. Maybe, maybe you were on the receiving end of the confrontation that day and you didn't handle it well, but you just feel like you need to go back and try to resolve it. Or maybe you would say that that's not true of me today, but maybe, maybe you would say right now, Dave, you know what? There's a, there's a situation in my life right now and I know I need to confront someone. I, God's been speaking to me and showing me that I need to just point this out to my brother or sister and point out what's, what's not right and try to bring reconciliation to try to, to fix things, to try to make it right. But I've just been running from it. I haven't wanted to deal with it. I told myself over and over again, it's not my business. I, I, don't, I shouldn't have to deal with it. But you know God's saying to you, you need to deal with it. If not you, then who? And you're to be the Stephen in that situation who faces confrontation. What would it look like for you this week to deal with that confrontation and to deal with it in love? Conflicts, you know what? They're inevitable. We can't avoid them. We can try our best to avoid them all of our lives, but it doesn't work. We can procrastinate. Again, and not do those things. Or we can just get mad and blow up. And in either situation, nothing will change. But things will change and can change when we confront and we confront in love. So may you today be someone who confronts and confronts well. 
May you be the person who is courageous in standing up for what is right when, the, when that needs to happen. Not the person who says, it's none of my business, I, I just assume stay out of it. And not the person who blows up and blows her, his or her stack and says things that you would regret later. But may you be like Jesus in facing confrontation. And may you build bridges rather than burn them. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask that each one of us would be able to look deeply into our hearts right now and recognize those places where we haven't handled confrontation well. Lord, if we were honest with ourselves, we'd all, we, we all know that we've been guilty of it. We've said things in the heat of a moment that we shouldn't have said. We've hurt people. Some of us, we've even been a part of damaging relationships that are still left damaged. God, and for some of those damaged relationships that we're thinking of even now, Lord, for some of us, we don't even want to think about it, let alone do anything about it. We just want to say, well, nothing I can do about it now. But Lord, I pray that if if there is something we can do, that you would just prompt us, that you would push us to take a step closer to you as we take a step closer to our brother or sister. May we not be people who run away from confrontation, but that we run into it. And we run into it with love. Lord, may our lives be a testimony to the grace and love and power of Jesus. As in those moments when our neck is on the line, we handle things well. Lord, would you forgive us for those times that we have not represented you well in confrontation. And would you help us to bring reconciliation and healing even now, after years of pain have resulted in some of those situations. Lord, I also pray today for those of us who are in this room who have never confronted the reality that we are, are, create, we are the creation of a living God who has set this world into motion and loves us far more than we can ever imagine. Lord, forgive us for those times when we run away from you or we deny you. Or we assume that we can do things in our own power and our own strength. God, for those of us who are in this room who have never surrendered our lives to you, who have never surrendered the control of our lives, the control of our mouths even, over to you. God, we ask that you would convict us. And that through that, Lord, that we would develop and strengthen a relationship with you that perhaps we've never even had before. God, I pray for each person in this room who have never said yes to Jesus yet, who have never surrendered their hearts and lives to you. And God, I ask in this moment for those who are in this room and those who are listening online who would like to make that step, who would like to say yes to Jesus, Lord, that you would hear our prayers even now as we say these words. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we confess that we are imperfect. And that we have said and done things that have hurt others. We have said and done things, God, that have hurt you. And Lord, we are truly sorry. God, we are so thankful that you loved us. And you, do, you continue to love us and pursue us in, in these crazy ways. And God, we don't understand why you love us so unconditionally despite the things we've done. But Lord, we accept that forgiveness. And God, we ask that you would forgive us of all of our sins. 
as we confess that you're our Savior and Lord. Lord, we thank you that you sent your Son to a cross to die for us so that those sins would no longer separate us from you. God, we ask that you would come into our hearts and not only forgive us, but fill us with your Spirit and begin to change us from the inside out and make us into the women and men of God that you've called us to be all along. In Jesus' name, amen.